But today is a very special day. It's a day that comes one time every year. Today is, what day is it? It's Mother's Day, right? It's an amazing, it's a great day. Let's hear it for the moms, right? One more time for the moms, yeah. So moms, um, we love our moms. We love um, we love having moms around us. I mean, moms are amazing. And so um, if you just found out that today is Mother's Day, I'm sorry for you. That's unfortunate. And what makes it worse is you will not be able to just go to the coffee bar and get her her favorite drink because that's what we got her. Um, you should have, if you're a mom, you should have gotten a card as you came in for a free coffee on us um, from our coffee bar. If you didn't get one, make sure to get one as you leave. We want to buy you a cup of coffee because there's nothing that moms need like sugar and caffeine. So we want to say thank you to the moms. And, and one of the reasons that we love moms is because of how, uh, is because of the way that moms make us feel, right? There's just something about mom. I have um, four children. The youngest is four, and he is all boy. Um, his name is Wesley. And if you see him, you should probably look out because he will probably try and tackle you. I mean, he's just all boy. It's what we do. We wrestle. We tickle. We throw balls in the house. Don't tell my wife. Um, we do all of those kinds of things, right? I mean, we, we just do boy stuff, and Wesley is all boy until he gets hurt. And if he's hurt, it's mom all the way, because there's something about the way that moms make us feel, right? They make us feel comforted. They make us feel safe and secure, and, and it's, it, they create the warm environment. They're, they're loving most of the time. I mean, I'm just saying... But they make us feel a certain way. But the thing is, is that it's not just moms that cause us to feel a certain way. In fact, every person in this room, your, your mere presence will cause people to feel a certain way. I heard a pastor recently say this, that when you walk into the room, people will feel either fear or joy. And I thought, man, that's, that's kind of scary actually, to think that, that just my presence could cause those emotions in people, that, that it could cause people to feel a certain way just because of, of the way that I've treated them in the past or because of the way that I'm treating them currently or because of things that I've said to them. And, and, and it's true, not just about me and not just about moms, but it's true of every single person in this room, that when you walk in the room, people will feel something. Now, it may not be fear, and it may not be joy, but when you come into the room, people will feel something, and it matters how you make people feel. It's important. It's important because if you make people feel bad enough, long enough, you'll be alone soon enough. If you make people feel bad enough, long enough, you'll be alone soon enough. And all of us know that this is true. We know it because there are people in our lives who have walked into the room and made us feel something that we didn't want to feel. We all have people in our lives sometime in our history who have, when they walk in the room and we see them, and sometimes it's just the name. You can just see the name on your phone, right? You get the text message, and it's that person, and you feel that pit in your stomach going, oh, I did not want to talk to that person. I don't even want to see what they have to say. And you know that it's true. And, but what you might not also realize is that you are probably that person in someone else's life that you have made people feel, I would be willing to bet that every, almost everyone in this room, there's some little babies, and they don't make anybody mad, 
except for mom maybe, but I'd be willing to bet that almost everybody in this room has made somebody feel something that that person didn't want to feel. And we don't always do it intentionally. In fact, most of the time, we don't. Most of the time, it's just because we get excited or we forget that we have to care about people's feelings. We kind of push that to the side. We get so focused. There's a word um, that I like to use to describe myself here in the church, and um, that word is passionate. It covers a multitude of sins. (laughs) Because I'm not yelling at you, I'm just passionate, right? <clears throat> I'm not mad at you, I'm just passionate, right? I'm not egotistical, I'm just passionate, right? I like to call myself passionate, but sometimes that passion, that desire to do the right thing, and, and, and I'm telling you, like most of the time, it's born from a good place. It's born from a righteous place, and for me, oftentimes, it's born in what we do for kids and students, and I want us to do the best possible thing for kids and students and their parents, and I want our church to be the best place it can be, and I want everything to be as great as it can possibly be, but sometimes that passion takes over. And what's scarier is that sometimes the passion slips away and the pride takes over, right? And I didn't mean to get there. I didn't mean to be that guy, but sometimes it gets there. And this happened to me just a few months ago. I was talking to a parent about um, some of our programming for their kids, and, and we got kind of in a passionate conversation, and, um, and pretty soon neither one of us were listening to the other person at all. And I realized that my passion caused me to be prideful, and my pride caused me to say, no, 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 I've read all the research. I know this is the right thing to do. No, 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 I've studied all the models. This is the right thing to do. I don't care, and this, I, this is what he heard me say. I didn't mean to say these things, but what he heard me say was, I don't actually care what your family needs. This is the right thing to do. And I was wrong, because my passion and my pride took over, and you've been that person in somebody else's life, not on purpose, but you've been that person, and how you feel, how you make people feel matters, because if you make them feel bad enough long enough, you'll be alone soon enough, and relationships are important, relationships matter, there are people that we want to be in relationship with, there are people that we don't want to walk out of our lives, right, we have kids, and we have spouses, and we have boyfriends and girlfriends, and we have um, all of these relationships, family members, and we have um, relationships with our employees, and relationships with our bosses, and we need some of those relationships we need to keep intact. So it matters how we make people feel, because relationships matter, and it doesn't actually matter if you're right or not. It doesn't matter what your intentions were sometimes. If you make them feel bad enough, they will leave, and you won't have the opportunity to continue to influence them, the opportunity to continue to speak into their lives, the opportunity to continue to be in relationship with them. And so it matters. But how can we do it? How can we have relationships that are guaranteed not to fail? How can we have relationships where we're guaranteed that the other person won't walk out of the room, won't leave us, won't leave us alone? How can we do that? Well, that's why we're in this series. The series is called Unfailing Love. And that's a term that Paul uses in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Now, if you're just joining us, um, Darren gave a little bit of of, uh, background on this passage last week, but let me just um, bring us back up to speed because, you know, a lot of times Darren says stuff on Sunday, and by the time I get home, I've forgotten what he says, not because I don't love him and he's not amazing, but because we got a lot going on. So let's get back up to speed this morning. Here's what's happening in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. We see Paul writing to this church in Corinth, and in chapter 12 
of the book, we see that Paul is writing about leadership in the church. He's writing about relationships and how to use spiritual gifts to bring, to edify, to bring each other together, to unify. He's writing about all that in 12. And then we go over here to chapter 14, and Paul is writing about leadership in the church and spiritual gifts and relationships and unity in chapter 14. And then in chapter 13, well, I'll say it this way. Uh, Pastor Perry Noble said it like this. It's as if we think that Paul was writing about leadership and unity in the church in 12 and writing about leadership and unity in 14, and then he thought, oh my gosh, there's going to be these people one day called Christians, and they're going to get married, and they need verses for their weddings. And so I'm going to just stop what I'm doing and write a chapter about love right here in the middle. Right? None of us would write a letter that way. But we assume, because 1 Corinthians 13 is called the love chapter, that it's all about love, that that's what Paul did. But maybe, just maybe, what Paul was actually doing was saying the most important part of leadership, the most important part of relationships, the most important part of leading in the church, I'm going to stick it right in the middle so you don't miss it, so you don't get confused. And I think that's what Paul is doing. And so the um, cha- um, First Corinthians chapter 13 is all about love. The entire chapter is just love, love, love. What love is, what love isn't, what love does, what love does not do. All of these things about love. And, and let me just say this as kind of a side note. If you are looking to improve your relationships, um, whether it's with your kids or your boss or your employees or um, your spouse, if you're looking to improve your relationships, man, if you would just read First Corinthians 13 every day, for the rest of this month while we're in this series, and then just take one of those things and say, I'm going to choose to love this person by doing this thing that the Scripture tells me to do, I guarantee you your relationships will get better. I guarantee you that you will find unity in that, that things will go better in that relationship for you. 1 Corinthians 13, it's an amazing chapter on how to keep relationships. It's, it's brilliant, and it's beautiful. But it's a lot of words. I mean, I'm just being honest, guys. Like, it's a lot of words. And I'm a I'm, you know, fairly typical guy in a lot of aspects, which means that when I buy a new toy or I get a new piece of equipment or um, electronics, um, I don't exactly read the manual cover to cover. Anybody with me? Right? I got some guys out there who don't read the manual and some wives out there who read it for them so they can tell them how they're doing it wrong, Right? Um, so, um, so I don't read the manual, but here's what I do, right? If I get a new piece of equipment, um, I'll pull it out of the box and I'll look at it, right? And and I may thumb through the manual and now they started putting like these little one sheet, like if you're not going to read the manual, which we know you're not, read this sheet, right? And so here's what I think Paul is doing. Because the parts that I'll read, like I won't read the whole manual, but here's what I'll read. I will look for this symbol, the little triangle with the exclamation point in it, right? I look for the warning symbol. Why? Because those things could kill me. And that's a problem. So I'm looking for the warning signs. I'm looking for the warning symbols. And I think that in 1 Corinthians 13, Paul does something similar. He, he comes to this point in verse 7 where he uses this statement over and over and over again. He says, always. It always does this. It always does this. It always does this. It always does this. And it kind of singles out this one part of the book or the chapter from the rest of it. And I think that what Paul is doing is kind of saying, hey, hey, if you're not going to read the rest of this, make sure you read this part. The love always part. And so that's where we're at. Picking up in um, chapter uh, 13, verse 7. Here's what love does. Um, it always trusts it always protects, rather. It always trusts. 
Love always protects, love always trusts. Now we're going to stop right there because um, if you want to hear about the other two, you're going to have to come back for the next couple of weeks or hit, hit us up on the podcast or online or the app or whatever. But last week we talked about love always protecting. And Pastor Darren did a great job of describing for us what that means. To come over as a protective covering. Not to cover up for, not to make excuses for, not to make sure that there aren't consequences. That's not what we're talking about. But to, to cover, to protect, to stand in the gap for people so that they know that they're protected, that they know that they're safe, that the relationship is safe. And Pastor Darren did an amazing job at describing that for us last week. And so if you missed that, you can check it out on any of those um, um, outlets, our uh, website, the app, or um, look us up on iTunes, the podcast for the sermons there. You can hear that. It's a great message. But today we're talking about trust. The second part of the verse where it says, love always trusts. And some of you cringed when you heard that word. Right, because the word trust, the idea of trusting people is so painful to you that it actually makes you go, mm, I don't know if I can do this. I'm not going to like this. In fact, I'm really thinking about if I can get out of here without everybody noticing right now. Right? Because that word, it, it carries some implications. And, and I don't necessarily think that it, it needs to. So, so I want to get us all on the same page on a definition of what trust is this morning, of what Paul is talking about in, in trust this morning. And I, here's what I think he's saying. In the ESV, the English Standard Version, it's written a little bit differently. And what he says in the ESV, the way that it's, it's written, the way that it's translated, says that love believes all things. That love believes all things. And so I think that what Paul is saying is that if we're going to love people, then we believe the best thing that we possibly can about them. That what it means to trust is to believe the best thing we can about the other person. And so here's a great example. You would never go on a first date and at the end of the night hand this person that you just met your credit card number and access to your bank account, right? You're not going to trust them with that information. You're probably not believing that they're a thief, but you're still not going to be an idiot, right? Right? And this is probably too for, true for some of our teenagers as well. You're not just going to hand them full access to your bank account. It's not necessarily wise for some of our teenagers. Right? They can't handle that responsibility yet. In my house, it plays out like this. My kids have access, very limited access, to media and to the internet. Not because I don't trust them to make bad decisions. Not because I don't trust that they're, they're not, that they're, I, I don't think that they're looking to get in trouble. I don't think that they're trying to find things that they shouldn't be seeing. But it's a dangerous place. And so I protect them in that way, even while I'm trusting them. I'm believing the best about them, but I'm not being dumb. Right? So I think that that is what Paul is trying to say to us. Believe the best that you can about a person. Right? And so how do we do that? How can we possibly get to this place that we believe the best about other people? Well, I think that the first thing that we need to realize is that we earn trust we don't demand it. We earn trust. We don't demand it. Now, see, some of you, when I said love always trusts, you started nudging your spouse or your parents or whoever it was next to you saying, see, 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 the Bible, the Bible says that if you loved me, you would trust me. And I don't think that's what Paul is saying, Right? <laughs> I don't think that's actually what it means, because here's the thing. This is what I've learned over some time, is that Scripture will almost never give you instruction for somebody else. I'm going to say it again. 
Scripture will almost never give you instruction for somebody else. We like to play that game, right? We like to say, hey, the Bible says, and that's for you, right? That's for my neighbor. That's for my boss. That's for my spouse. That's for my kids. The Bible will almost never do that. Here's what it will do. It will reveal what's happening inside of you. It will show you where you are failing. It'll show you your shortcomings. It will show you your sinfulness. And as you pursue God, God will take those things away and he'll make you more like him. And after you've walked that path, then you maybe will get the chance to say, look what God did in my life. Isn't his word true? That's how that plays out. At least that's how it's played out in my life. Because when I go to somebody and say, hey, the Bible says you should do this, um, it just doesn't work, right? It just does not work. And so scripture almost never gives us instruction for somebody else. And here's um, what Paul says um, about this, about this idea of um, earning trust. Paul says this, he wrote a letter to a guy named Titus um, who was planting a church and um, Titus needed some help, some instruction. And so Paul writes to him and says this in Titus chapter two, verse nine, he says, teach slaves to be subject to their masters and everything. Now, slaves doesn't mean slaves like we think of, right? I mean, it means like servants, employees, kind of is kind of the term there. But teach slaves to be subject to their masters in everything, to try to please them, not to talk back to them, and not to steal from them, but to show that they can be fully trusted so that in every way they will make the teaching about God our Savior attractive. So Paul is saying to these guys, these employees, hey, work in such a way that you earn the trust of your employer. Work in such a way that you earn the trust of your boss. Do this in your relationship so that you earn the trust. The Apostle Peter also said something similar. He said it in um, his letter, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 12. He said, live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. And I think that what Peter is saying here is that you should live in such a way that you earn the trust of the people. Now they may hate you and they may falsely accuse you, but you have lived in a way that they know what's true about you. And so we see it in scripture a couple of times where, where we can kind of get this idea that we should earn trust, not demand it. That we should earn trust, not demand it. So how do we do that? Right? Because so far all I've said is do this, do this, like we should do this, we should do this, we should do this, and I haven't really, we haven't really talked about how. We haven't really said, how. well, that's great, Pastor Sam, thanks for telling me I'm failing, how should I do better, right? So here's how I think we can do better. I think that it's really interesting that Paul wrote this always section in the order that he wrote it in, because it says always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. And what I think can happen is that when we protect, we earn trust. And when we trust, there's hope. And where there's hope, there's perseverance. And where there's perseverance, love will not fail. And so I think that one of the ways we earn trust is by protecting those around us. And again, this doesn't mean covering up for them. But it means protecting. We've all had one of two bosses, right? Some of us, most of us have had both of these bosses at different times. There's the boss that will let everything roll down to the lowest employee, right? So anytime something goes wrong, it's always the lowest guy on the totem pole's fault. It always rolls down from boss to boss to boss to boss. Guys, I know some of you are in the military, and you've had that NCO, right? Nothing is ever his or her fault. It's always the enlisted guy below him's fault, right? But you've also had that boss or that NCO that says, the buck stops here. 
It stops with me. There's a protective covering. And that doesn't mean that I don't go back and have a conversation about what your performance. It doesn't mean that I don't go back to the person below me and say, hey, you need to do better in this. Hey, part of this is your fault. It doesn't mean those things. But what it does mean is that, well, I mean, I just, I can't, I can't really describe it well without sharing this saying with you. When I was in the military, and I think this is probably still a saying in the military and other places, and I'll PG it up for you today, but the saying is stuff rolls downhill, right? But the good boss, the trustworthy boss, the boss who's trying to earn the trust of his employees will stand in the gap and say, no, the stuff stops here with me. I'm not letting you get that on you. I'm covering you. I'm protecting you from that. And when we do that, when we protect, we earn trust, right? We earn the trust of the other person. So I think that it starts by protecting. And again, you can go back and listen to Darren's message on protecting. Um, It's in a lot of different places. You can find that. But here's the other thing that we do to earn trust. The other thing that we need to do to earn trust is we choose to trust others even when they haven't earned it. So we don't demand that other people trust us, but we demand of ourselves that we become trustworthy for other people, and we demand that we trust them even when they haven't earned it. And again, remember our definition of trust. It means believing the best thing that you can about a person. And if you choose to do this, even when they haven't earned it, it begins to build relationship. It begins to bring unity. It begins to bring you together. Now, I need to give a little safety caveat in here, and that's this. Remember, this definition is believing the best thing that you can about a person. And I know that there are people in this room who have been significantly wounded by people, who have been significantly hurt by people. And what I don't want you to hear me say is that you should trust that person no matter what. I'm not saying that. If someone is hurting you or has hurt you, there is a safe distance in which you say, you don't get to come any closer than this because I can't trust you beyond this distance. I can't trust you with my presence. I can't trust you with this information. I can't trust you in that place. But here's what you can trust. Even if you've been hurt, you can trust this one thing. That God loves that person and that God wants to bring that person to restoration and redemption. And I get that, that even that is hard to believe, but here's what happens if you can do it. If you can say, hey, I can't trust this person with my life, but I'm trusting that Jesus is going to intervene in their life, here's what happens. It releases you. It releases you from the prison of bitterness. It releases you from the prison of fear sometimes. It releases you from the prison that that person has a hold on you, because now you're saying, I can't trust you, but I trust Jesus. And I'm going to trust Jesus with you. So that's my, my little safety caveat. And, and, and I think, though, that for most of us, it looks, it looks different than that. I mean, for most of us, it looks a little bit like this story that I'm going to tell you. And before I tell the story, I need you to know that something about me. Um, some of you already know this, but I'm what um, people would call an introvert. And that doesn't mean that I don't like people. It doesn't mean that I don't like standing on the stage and having all 500 of you look at me. That's not what being an introvert means. What it means is that at the end of the day, people drain my energy, and I need to get away and be alone to recharge and re-energize, right? So I'm a little bit of an introvert, and, and that's okay. Um, and so I was really excited about something recently, and I went to my boss, and I said, hey, hey, boss, there's this conference in Atlanta, And I got permission to tell the story before you freak out, man. 
Come on. <clears throat> I like my job. Anyway, I said, there's this conference in Atlanta, and it's, it's all about helping youth leaders and kids leaders um, really um, improve their ministries and improve their leadership and, and become better at what they're called to do. And I'd really like to go to Atlanta. I've met some of the people that are going to be there before. I'd love to reconnect with them and, and meet them again. And I would really love to have a week in a hotel room with no other people. I would really like that. I think it'd be really good for my ministry. I could really focus on what God is saying. I could really focus on what we need to be doing. And, and my boss was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I like, I like that idea. I think that's a great idea, right? And I thought, oh, yes. I, said, I thought, oh, this is going to be so great. I'm going to come back so recharged because, you know, I have four children. I love my children desperately, but they are always there. And I thought, this is going to be amazing. And I said, and, and my boss, he said, my, Pastor Darren, he said, he said, yeah, I think that's a great idea, and I'll go with you. <laughs> so I took a deep breath, and I said, yeah, yeah, that sounds great. <laughs> sounds awesome. I bet we'll have a lot of great conversations. All the way down there, all the way back. By the way, our plane was delayed five hours on the way back. I just want you to know that, all right? Anyway, so, so I'm talking to my boss. I'm like, okay, all right, it's okay. It's going to be okay. Like, at the end of the day, we're still, like, be in a hotel room, and I'll put my headphones in, right, and I'll just, hey, I, I have some work to do, right? I can tell him I have work to do. He'll respect that, and I'll, I'll get a little bit of privacy in that moment. And my boss called me back in, and he said, hey, I have great news. I have these friends from high school that live in Atlanta, and they said we could stay with them. <laughs> and I thought, that sounds amazing. <laughs> it's so great. These people I've never met before in my life. That's, that's great. Okay, so I took a few more deep breaths, and I thought, okay, it's going to be okay. It's going to be fine. I mean, Hopefully, there's two spare bedrooms. Hopefully, I have my own bed. I mean, like, I'm, I'm freaking out about this whole thing. I'm like, what is going to happen? Oh, my gosh. My anxiety is, like, through the roof, and I'm just, I'm freaking out, right? But I'm okay with it. I've finally calmed down, and I'm like, it's going to be okay. It's going to be fine. It's totally worth it because this is going to be an amazing conference. I'm going to get to meet some amazing people and do some ama learn some amazing things. It's going to be great. So I'm totally fine with it. And then Friday night before we leave, Friday night before we leave, we're leaving on Monday morning. He texts, he sends me a text, and he goes, hey, hey, when I, uh, when I bought our plane tickets on Frontier, um, they were going to charge us for both carry-ons, and it was like a lot cheaper to get one checked bag, so we're just going to share a suitcase, right? <laughs> and y'all... Man, I about had a heart attack in my living room that day, <laughs> right? I'm like, I am freaking out. I'm like, oh my gosh, I, like, this was supposed to be like some getaway time, and now it's like my personal bubble is just gone, right? And so I'm, I'm kind of freaking out, right? But it's Friday, and my wife, who is so, so wise sometimes, says to me, I mean most of the time, like almost always, come on, don't ruin it. My wife says to me, hey, you, you have some time. Why don't you just chill for a day 
and then you can figure out if you need to talk to him or not tomorrow, which was good advice, because in the moment, I was about to call him up and be like, hey, if this is how you're going to treat me, I'm just going to quit, right? <laughs> and and so, so she talked me off the ledge, right? And she's like, hey, hey, calm down. And we went to our life group that night, and we're in an amazing life group on these people that we do life together with, and I was telling um, this story with my life group because it's a safe place, and they were like, yeah, man, that sounds crazy. I mean, some of them were like, yeah, dude, I don't know what you're going to do. That sucks for you, right? And, and so I'm telling them the story, but there's one person in my life group who just looks at me, and she's like, and if you know who's in my life group, you know who this is. <laughs> she looks at me, and she goes, stop being a baby. And I thought, what? Am I really? And so I thought about it for a few hours. And here's what I realized. I thought that I deserved to have my own hotel room. And I thought that I deserved to have my own trip without my boss. And I thought that I deserve to have my own space, and I thought that I deserve to have my own suitcase. And some of you may still agree with me on that. It's okay, I've worked it out, all right? But here's what happened. My pride got a hold of me, and my pride said, you deserve better than this. You deserve better than what you're being treated. And God's so good, man, because two weeks before that, he put this verse in my heart, and he, he, I mean, has God ever done this to you? He's just shown you something in Scripture or told you something, and then he just will not let it go, right? It's just like every day, over and over and over again, and this thing has been on my mind for the two weeks leading up to this event, and and in the moment, right, as I'm realizing that it's my pride that's the issue, this verse comes back. It's from Philippians chapter 2 where Paul says, in humility, consider others more significant than yourself. And I thought, man, am I being humble right now? Is this my pride? Is it really, is that really what's going on here? And, and the truth is it was. And my pride had crept in there and said, you deserve better than this. And I believed that lie. And because I believed that lie, I believed the next lie, which was that your boss doesn't really care about you. All he cares about is saving money, which is not true. If you know Pastor Darren, you know that there is nobody in this church who loves people more than he does. There is nobody in this church who cares about people deeper than Pastor Darren was. But I was starting to believe the lie that that wasn't true. Because my pride crept in and convinced me of something else. So I stepped back and I said, hey, you know what? Maybe this isn't true. Maybe what's really true is that my boss cares so much about the resources of Pikes Peak Christian Church, that he's willing to share his suitcase with me. And he's willing to share his trip with me. And he's willing to stay in his friend's house instead of a hotel. And he's willing to drive a snotty, you know, kind of stuck-up little next-gen pastor around Atlanta for a week. (laughs) I mean, maybe that's what's actually true, because he cares about me that much, and he cares about the church that much and he cares about the resources that much and that is what is true but I could not see it through my pride because I was not trusting him I didn't choose to trust him even though in my mind he hadn't earned it but when we do that when we reverse that when we choose to trust when I chose to trust his heart in that moment when I chose to trust nope I believe that he's doing what he believes is best for this church I believe that his heart's in the right place I believe that he cares about me when my attitude shifted here's what happened my anxiety went away And it honestly was not that big of a deal. And we got to meet these amazing people named Tim and Becky who let us stay in their house for a week, who made us homemade dinners and home-baked cookies 
I mean, it's better than any cookie I've ever had in a hotel. I'm just saying. And they took us to where their daughter works at Chick-fil-A, and we got to have this amazing, like, four-hour tour of the Chick-fil-A corporate office. And really, they're amazing people. And it was an amazing week. And I would not have gotten to know them if I'd have let my pride and let my mistrust own the situation. So we choose to trust others even when they haven't earned it. And that passage in Philippians, man, it is just stuck with me. I want to share it with you this morning, starting in verse 3. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. I'm going to read that part again because it's so significant. It's so important. If, if, if you don't hear anything else I say this morning, hear this one thing that Paul wrote and just implement that. In humility, count others more significant than yourself. If you did that in your relationships, if you did that with your spouse, if you did that with your kids, if you did that with every relationship, I guarantee you those relationships would change that the anxiety would fade away, that peace would come in, that joy would come in, that you would find a new hope for those relationships, and that the trust would be built and love would grow if you did that. But here he goes on, let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself, taking on the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. I know it's hard to trust sometimes. I know it's hard to believe the best thing about another person, but I also know this, that we can trust others because we can trust Jesus. The God of the universe, the one who created everything, chose to humble himself and come to this earth in the form of a sticky, slimy, nasty baby. Don't laugh, you know it's true. He humbled himself and came in that form. And the reason he came was not to be crowned king. It wasn't to be made known. It wasn't to be made glorified on this earth. It was to go to a cross and die. And the reason that I could choose to trust other people is because when I didn't deserve his trust, when I didn't deserve what Jesus was going to do, he humbled himself and did it for me anyway. And he died on a cross for my pride, for my sin, and for your sins, so we could know him. Because the first thing that love does is it protects. And Jesus protected us from ourselves when he came and died on the cross. And he gained our trust by being trustworthy, not demanding it from us. He proved himself worthy of trust because as he went to the cross, his actions proved that he loves us, proves that he cares for us. And you can trust because you can trust Jesus. And when you can't find it in your heart, to be that guy, to stand up and be the upstanding, righteous person. When you can't find it in your heart to trust people that don't deserve to be trusted, when you can't find it, you look to the cross. And you remember that Jesus humbled himself and considered me more significant than he considered himself when he went to that cross.